Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 95 with my friend, Angela Vincent. I was so excited when she told me that she would sit down with me. Um, you know, Angela is one of those people that you see on social media and you wonder, like, what is your life? Because there's just, you know, pictures in the desert and the mountains and uh, just always doing this cool stuff. And, and I was so curious. And so I was very excited when she agreed to sit down with me. And I think you guys will be just as excited to hear all the stories she has. So without further ado, here is my friend, Angela. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? When I go home to Michigan, I love visiting and I love the seasons and I love winter and all things but it is I don't know like it's so nice here it's hard to imagine moving back to that yeah don't do it I did it it's not I don't recommend it (laughs) Uh, well hi it's been like 20 some years probably since I've talked to you I know it probably has yeah been 20 I don't think I've talked to you since high school did you graduate with my sister yeah yeah. Um, I usually start out with how I know people. And as, as I said, I know you from high school. Uh, mm-hmm. I graduated with your sister. But I think I think we had a class together at some point. Yeah. Was it, what was it like Spanish or art? It must have been an elective. It might, yeah. Right? Art could be. A, uh, well, I screwed up freshman math and had to take that later <laughs> on in high school because I went to lunch yeah. instead of class freshman year. So it could have been that as well. But um Either way, yeah. yeah, we didn't like hang out or anything. I just know you from high school and I, I knew your sister and uh, one of your sisters, apparently. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. Well, so let's let's start there. Let's jump back in time. So are you in the middle? Do you have one ahead and one below? I have one ahead and one below. I'm in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How's being a middle child? It's very much, I think, indicative of what a middle child usually is for people. Um but it's great. I like it. I like having one above and one below. It's it's fun. And did you grow up here in Michigan? I grew up in Clarkston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I was I was there. I mean, I went to college in at Central Michigan, yeah. so I was there for that part of my life. And then I started moving incrementally more incrementally more west as time went on. I just got as far as I could, I guess, um, west in this continent and stayed. Yeah. Hey, there's always <laughs> Hawaii. There's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what what is it <laughs> you mentioned typical middle child stuff. What does that look like? Is that like people pleasing? Is that trying to keep the peace in your family? I think there's some bit of it is peacemaker. Yeah. I think there is I think um, the old the oldest child, you know, is the firstborn and gets a lot of attention. Usually they're very confident. And Lindsay also happens to be like a Capricorn, so I'm a little into the zodiac. She's very like confident and strong, kind of like and very independent and Kim being the littler one is sort of like the baby. So the middle child can kind of get lost because the, the other, the sides of other sides of the spectrum are kind of more strong. Um, so the middle child can kind of get lost. And I think that's a little bit probably true for me. Um, and I used to kind of feel a little more, um, bad about that or pity party around that, but now I actually feel really, it's all really great and meant to be and our family and my sisters and I are closer now than ever. Yeah. Adults. Yeah. I wonder if that, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get to this as, as time goes on, but I wonder if that created more independence, but, um, well, it's funny cause my mom's always like, you're the most independent one. You're so independent. And I actually don't feel like that internally. Yeah. Like I feel like my older sister, I was like up to her for like, she's just really strong in her decisions. She doesn't, worry about as much what other people are going to think or like I feel much more insecure than my older sister but I guess what it looks like externally of like what I've done and what I've been doing with my life it looks like I'm just like super independent and super confident but that's not actually (laughs) always how I feel it's your social media portrayal Um, it's like exactly (laughs) so you're uh, three years older than your than Kim right Mm -hmm. how much younger than Lindsay are you two years a year and a half oh, okay so yeah. you guys grew up pretty close i, I imagine mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what do your parents do when you guys are growing up for work oh 
sales. My mom, my stepdad is a sales representative for various companies over the years. My dad did a bunch of different things too. Um, I, and my mom was in sales for a while and then she actually was a secretary at our high school oh, okay. for years, like the, the head secretary to the principal. How did I not and, know that? I, I knew all the office people because I was always in trouble. <laughs> she was like one of the favorite because she's really playful and fun and friendly. And that's funny. The mom is like very well loved. So is very well loved <laughs> and was at the time when she was a secretary. So um, I'm, I'm curious. You said stepdad. When did your parents divorce? Oh, I was like five, I think. Young. Okay. I was young. Yeah. My mom married in 91 and so I would have been seven. So basically from seven on my, my mom and stepdad have been married since 91. So okay. a really long time. So yeah, I grew up with him. Yeah. I'm guessing you guys all stay in that house together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, I saw my dad. Weekend and, okay. So but, he stayed around in the area though. Yeah. He was like in, uh, what's that town? Not wait. Anyway, yeah, yeah. like for, 45 minutes of Clarkson. Okay. I'm really blanking on the name of the. Yeah, that could be a built in bunch of places, but yeah, that's <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, my parents divorced when I was four, but my dad moved to Florida, and I was like, okay, well. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> See you once a year, bro. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah that's, wow. that's how that panned out. Um, so did that have? I mean, did that play any role or impact on your life as a kid? Or it sounds like you kind of connected with your stepdad maybe early on or you know i know all these things have impacts on us really deeply um and you don't really recognize it as a kid you're just sort of in it and it took it's it's like years later you look back and realize like oh that was like really hard or that was why that was hard and you also maybe as a kid and as a teenager like resent your parents or your step parents because you like them um, and they don't understand you and whatnot but then you look back now i'm looking back and like wow that was hard for everybody like really hard for everybody and they were just doing the best they could too. And, um, yeah, I didn't really get along with my stepdad that well when I was a kid and a teenager. And even in my college years, we're just very butt heads in a lot of ways. Um, but now it's, you know, we're much closer now and I really love him and love everything he's done for our family and, you know, loving my mom so much. But like when I was a kid, yeah, it was really actually really hard. And, um, think as a as a young girl like I didn't really ever feel like I had a daddy like a dad you know you're like kind of like I wasn't close to my stepdad and I saw my dad every other weekend and that was sort of you know sometimes awkward and just hard and everyone's just like again looking back I'm like yeah everyone's just doing their best but I never had that solid like male figure that I feel like I could go to and I think that does impact you as a person yeah Um, I can vouch for that I looked for ways in my life so um yeah, the process of understanding and forgiving of people and coming back to the in the end to like we're a family we love each other and um we survived those crazy yeah. years so, so. I, I i made an assumption earlier but i'm wondering what what the dynamic was between like you Lindsay, and kim were you guys was it two against one sometimes or did you guys get along or did you all kind of live your own different lives it was definitely all of it. Um, <laughs> sometimes you know, three is a crowd yeah. and sometimes three is me. So I don't know. It's like there were times when we definitely fought. We had so many years of fighting and angsty stuff. And then we had a lot of fun and laughed, laugh our asses off and we still do. And um, I would say our personalities are really similar to how they've always been. And so there's ways that you can annoy your siblings and there's, you just like love them too. And so I, we have the, the classic sibling rivalry stuff and, and challenges, but we've only ever gotten closer over time. So I'm really, really grateful for that because I know that's not always true. Yeah. 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 It can always go a lot of different ways. You know, I think I was yeah. going through my like punk rock phase when my brother was the most popular kid in school. So it's just yeah. <laughs> it's opposites. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you kind of try to like Lindsay was older than me and I wasn't necessarily, we weren't, she didn't like hate me as her younger sister or anything, but she wasn't like wanting me to be part of her social scene, obviously. And so I could feel that. And it's just kind of funny. Like it's like so classic. It's like the classic oh, yeah. stuff. Like 
you know, that we lived. I well, think. I feel like, and again, we didn't like hang out much and I probably saw your sister more than you did as far as like out in social settings, but, or more than I saw you, but, um, it, it seemed like if I remember correctly, did you guys like start kind of running in similar social circles towards the end of high school? Maybe we did. Cause maybe I like, went to like a dance with one of her classmates, yeah. like, oh, what was his name? Mike for boots. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did like a little bit, um, but it's also like, you're, you're so awkward as a teenager. Like I'm, you know, you're like kind of getting up there in the social scene you're kind of dabbling in different things. And then you like, don't know actually how to be there and you don't know who you are. And so it's just, it's just looking back. I'm so glad those years are over. You know, it's yeah, great. For real. I never want to go back. I never want to go back to high school or, or college actually. Yeah. No, um, thanks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> not at all. Um, I had a great yeah. time, but I would not want to do it again. Uh, yeah, it's funny you mentioned just like trying to get there and, and know, I don't know, how to act when you are there. And I think that's mm-hmm. the secret that you don't understand until you're older is nobody does. Like the most right. put together popular person still doesn't know what the fuck they're doing in that scenario. You think that they do. You're like, okay, that person, you know, and there's not a lot of um like actual mentorship for for youth yeah. in terms of like, from a really grounded place that's not in, you know it's like there's not a lot of there wasn't i think there's more maybe now i don't know but just like someone and guiding you that's not your parents on like how to like find yourself yeah. so you do it like drinking and partying and socializing and trying to like do what other kids are doing but really that's not like who you are it's just like what you're trying on to figure out who you are yeah. and there's not a lot of alternatives. Um, so yeah, interesting Such times. Life. Um, so you said you went to central. Mm-hmm. Um, was that college always on the radar? Was that just a ex- expectation yeah. in the family? I mean, I think my parents didn't go to college, but it was just, yeah, I just grew up assuming that I would. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, again, since my parents didn't go, it wasn't like they were like, let's have you apply to a bunch of colleges. We'll take you on college tours and you see what fits for you. It was basically like, I worked at Dairy Queen. My two best friends who worked at Dairy Queen with me were going to go to Central. It's the only school I applied to. I got in and I went. Like, honestly, it was, um, again, I don't like have any regrets about any of that. It's just like funny to look back. Like, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. Neither did my parents regarding college. So it was just like, oh, you got into, like, you want to go there? Great. We'll take you there. And um that's where I went. Yeah, it was literally the only school I applied to, I think. Can Maybe I, another Can I go oh, off on a tangent on Dairy Queen? Yeah. Yes, please. Because um, I think that's where I probably saw you the most. The second you said that, I just remembered like that's uh and I'm so sad that Dairy Queen isn't a Dairy Queen anymore. But I so many um, memories. Um, I used to ride my bike there and everything. But yeah, no, I would go get Oreo cookie blizzards all too regularly. <laughs> and all you guys were, all you guys went to high school with me. And I just like knew all of you, which yeah. I think looking back is like, oh, that's kind of sad, isn't it? Because just like, you know me for getting blizzards way too often. We used to come in because when they knew we were working and go in and steal cakes from the fridge, because they would just steal and run out. <laughs> And, we just, and our and our, bo- our manager was a total drunk that would just sit in the office. So we like kind of had the run of the, the shop there. It was pretty epic. It's amazing. Yeah. I, that's so funny. You were one of the Dairy Queen people. <laughs> 15 pounds that last, toward the last year of high school. Wow. Really got to, you know, working at Dairy Queen three times a week is not the best way to stay healthy. No? Just living in a center of uh, yeah, fatty dairy. And sugar well, they and... have dairy, they have the candy, and then they have like the fried food, like the chicken and the fries. Yeah, I imagine I'd be like just taking scoops of cookie dough and peanut butter cups and just munching yeah. all day long. Um, anyway, yeah. Anyway, tangent over. Um, <laughs> so you go to Central, and I, I'm curious. I'm I'm always wondering about people's experience because it's always different. But being mm-hmm. out of your house for the first time you're away from like your family i i think unless Lindsay went to central you saw her all the time um but you, you know you're you're kind of responsible to yourself and and only yourself to some in some way like what does that look like how did you handle it um like mm-hmm. were you a partier 
Were you, did it freak you out to have that much responsibility over yourself? I don't remember, you know, it's funny. I don't remember feeling freaked out. I almost feel like I was too naive to be freaked out because you don't, you kind of just at that age, I think I was just going with what I thought I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I didn't even have the idea that, you know, obviously my parents were supportive and, you know, my friends were going there. So I kind of like went from one small bubble of like Clarkston to like the next little bit bigger bubble of central. It was like pretty much the same demographics of people that I, it was like a little bit more exciting because I got to meet, you know, people not that weren't like me. And I really started to branch in more into more of my interests, like my truer interests that I didn't know I even really had that, you know, that happened in college, but I, I kind of, I don't remember feeling like overwhelmed by that experience. I, yeah. I wasn't, I didn't party a ton. It was, and I didn't do that in high school either. I think I did a, a little bit more in college for sure. had some fun, but I, I really quickly did not like most of the party scenes in college, just like in high school, I'd go to parties and then I'm calling my mom to come get me. Cause I was like, I just didn't like the energy, the, the energy of those kinds of parties. And I, in college, I ended up sort of going into the more, um, political like i would drink wine and smoke cigarettes and talk about like you know marxism and you know yeah. stuff like that people in college i kind of went that route and ended up you know studying abroad and like learning about the world and being exposed to other cultures and that was really like holy shit the world's a lot bigger than white clarkston yeah yes. really like, can you make that on a banner and hang it somewhere <laughs> um yes 100 percent I'm I'm curious, and you kind of just branched off into this when you said you kind of started finding out the interests that you were really interested in in, in college. Uh, yeah, what I mean, what is that? You mentioned politics, and uh, where do you travel abroad to to or study abroad? Studied in Chile. Oh, and I just you know, I I would say like that my college friends who were into you know, social justice and things like that at the time, which was so new to me, like to even yeah. think about that stuff. Um, I really, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're super self-righteous and you're in, you're like indignant. You're going to fight the system and fight the world. I was into that. Like, that's where we were. That's what we cared about. That's what we did. I went to protests. We went, we did all the sorts of things, you know? Um, and that was really cool. I mean, I think I needed that, like, fine. Cause you, and I really, my, I know my stepdad was really uncomfortable with that. My parents probably thought like, I was probably so annoying. So I was probably so self-righteous about these like, and I'm definitely softened or, or do those things in a different way now. Yeah. But it helped me sort of like, you know, feed some part of myself that had never gotten any attention before. And I didn't even really know that was there. So that was a really cool time. That's an interesting take. Um, to, that it's feeding it feeding something that wasn't you didn't know was there like what what is that what was you what were you what was that appetite that wasn't getting satiated by your everyday activities hmm. I would just I think I felt like really sheltered and in a bubble and that's really beautiful and really like really lucky to grow up like that actually but it's not the whole story yeah. and there's other stories like the world is just made of stories the world is like we all just live in our own mythology and we grow up in it we don't we can't even see that there's something else because we're so surrounded and we have these like a certain lens on basically that we see the whole world through and we think that that's the world and the reality is like just so multi-layered and like infinite and so just to have a different lens for a time and to be like, well, so if there's this lens and there's like so many others and just like opened my eyes up to all of that. And I think that's like what I've been kind of on the pursuit of ever since. And um, yeah, there, I, I think it feeds like sort of this idea that we're interconnected, that there's like multiple stories that are all here together and how are we all interacting and what does that mean? And where, what's my place in this bigger yeah. story? Yeah, I, I I love that. Um, I I think about I think about that a lot in the way that uh, it seems so naive <laughs> to assume any group of people, whether it be immediately around you or on the other side of the world, uh, think the same way as you do. And you think about like I get overwhelmed, you know, when you think about the perspective of 
we're just this like tiny little, tiny little dot, like in this little place and in this little state in this little country in this giant world where like all this other stuff is happening. And like Mm -hmm. all the, all the shit we typically worry about is pretty insignificant in the grand scheme of things. And I think there's so many people that never leave that mindset because, uh, in some ways they never leave like physically they never leave where they're at and then just to never experience things or think about things outside of like this immediate white western culture that you know and it's uh it's crazy it's like like not really anyone's fault just like i don't really take credit how i was exposed to new things and like pursued that path it's almost like i didn't decide to do that. It kind of just happened. And I kept following that thread. So, and the more that I've traveled and the more that I've seen of the world, just living in it, I've noticed that most everyone around the entire planet to me kind of has a very similar human quality of wanting like belonging and connection and love and just like safety in the world. And all the things we think we believe about our, our nation, our politics, our religious beliefs, all of that is sort of imposed upon us. It's a good, oh, it's an overlayer of like what we essentially actually are. And so we all get wrapped up in like who we think we are, who we think we belong to and what we think we need to fight for, because it's, that's like the story that we're born into. And that's, if we want to belong and feel safe and connected, we have to fall along with that story. Yeah. But really that, I don't think that's what our essence is and what actually connects all humans is something that's just very universal and we all can relate to, um, so I, I think know. everybody's That's... grasping for identity and your immediate surroundings are the easiest thing to, <laughs> to hold on to in that, in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is Chile like? Like what is there, did you get to choose that place? Uh, and, and what did you do there? Yeah, I, I chose that place. The, the college at the time didn't actually have a city abroad program in Chile. They had one in, um, Spain and I don't know, some other countries. Um, but I wanted to go to Chile. So a few of us kind of got that program started and I was in the South of Chile in a little town. It's a co- like a sea town. It's a, it's a small city on the, on the coast called Valdivia. And again, super naive, you know, I'm just traveling abroad again, just mind blown. Like, just, just like, Whoa, I don't know. Just so, um, Chile is a really beautiful country. If I were to go back now, Versus I was like 20 when I went and I'm 37. So I know some, I would do different things now if I were to, like, I wanted to go to the restaurants and the bars and I was in college where I was meeting people and we were like hanging, you know, part, kind of, if I were to go back now, I'd like want to go backpacking and like learn about the, I want to go to like the museums and learn more about the culture and the history. And, you know, it was kind of, again, just my 20 year old self, like new to do, but it's a beautiful country, a really rich history. Um, just a wonderful experience overall. Definitely changed my life. I think that's awesome. Um, do you end up going anywhere else while you're in college? Like traveling abroad, what do you get? What'd you get your degree in? Uh, education, secondary education and Spanish was my major. So I taught Spanish for quite a bit. Where did you like, yeah. Where did you move? What does life look like after college? Um, so I taught for a year in, in Traverse city. Oh, nice. Michigan. Yeah. Then I went to Milwaukee for, and I joined teach for America and I, and I taught for two years in Milwaukee and then do you have favorite bars in Milwaukee? I did. Oh man, I did. I (laughs) I, love that. I usually go there every year for work. Um, when there's not a pandemic happening. So (laughs) if I remember, I'll tell you sometime because I did love some one of them. I can't remember. Um, it's a fun time so to fun. just walk around. There's so it's much such stuff. A fun lake. It's so beautiful. I think it's a great, I loved living there. Um, it's really, really fun. Um, and then I moved to California basically after that, I taught for two years and then the, the guy I was dating, he was teaching in Chicago and he was like, I found this program in California. It's a nine month immersion program into nature and permaculture and all these things. And I was like, sure. Yeah. I want to do that. Yeah. Let's do it. And just once again, like, okay. Like I thought I was going to come back after nine months and like come back to Milwaukee or Michigan or something. And 
oh my gosh, like that really was like a huge, you know, my life just totally changed after that. But I went, that's when I moved to California um, and haven't been back. What is that program? What, what is, what are you doing for those nine months and how did that change your perspective or your life in general? Um, well, currently that program is called weaving earth, but at the time it was our DNA, which stands for regenerative design and nature awareness. So it was a program that facilitates deep nature connection and, um, permaculture skills. So like learning to work with the land in a way that's like, um, reciprocal and, um, kind of based in indigenous ways of, of knowledge and land management and, it we did tracking we did bird language we did you know um ancestral skills like basket making we did um council like learning to talk to each other and <laughs> learn about ourselves and conflict resolution and sort of trying to imagine what would it be like to be in a human if a human culture was actually sane again and not so frenetic and based in capitalism and based in c- competition and um, you know, the pillaging and plundering of the earth and the resources and other people to get what we want. Like what would a sane version of society look like? Let's try to emulate or try to learn some of those practices. And that's what we did. And I ended up being in that program for two years and, um, it's still going and they've changed it a lot. It's, it's a lot more, um, diverse now and there's a lot more focus on social justice and and things diversity equity and inclusion things like that um so it's pretty rad and it's amazing guys warm weather is right around the corner and what better way to chillax as they say than with a beautiful delicious non-alcoholic beer I'm talking IPAs, I'm talking stouts, I'm talking ambers and wheats. Uh, Oh my God, the citrus wheat. There's so many good options. And the brewery where you can find all of these options is well-being. They're all about health and well-being, and they want you to raise your well-being by checking out some of their delicious brews. So head on over to wellbeingbrewing.com and use code FRIENDREQUEST to save 10% off your first order. Whether you're looking to cut down your drinking or drinking is not in your every day. (laughs) You guys, whether you don't drink or you're just looking to cut down, it is a great option with flavors that bring back all of the joy that you might have gotten from high octane alcoholic beer. So check them out. Wellbeingbrewing.com. Use code friend request. Save 10%. And now back to the interview. Where does the mindset shift change, right? So like, I'll I'll generalize and kind of group these things together. But as we mentioned, you know, a few times, like you grow up in Clarkston, this this kind of like bubble of of white privilege, and you, you go to college, even when you go to Chile, you it's not, it's not as as eye opening as it can be, because you're still, you know, a 20 year old. Um, And then Mm -hmm. you're you're doing Spanish teaching, Teach for America happens. And then you go, which this, the way you describe it seems like quite an aggressive, like (laughs) hard turn in a different direction. So what, what happens that makes you want to do that? Like, are you tired of what you're doing? Did you just think, have an open mind? Like, what is, what does that look like where you make that decision? Well, you know, I wanted to be with my boyfriend. I wanted to do something else. I, I loved, I like felt connected. I was already kind of feeling more like, like nature and, and the camping and all that stuff was calling. I wanted to like to learn to be in the world, like ex, like literally the physical world yeah. more. And um, so I kind of went on. Yeah. Yeah. The mindset was like, yeah. Open-minded wanting to be in this relationship, following someone else's dream a little bit. Like, I think there was part of me now looking back, I'm like, I wasn't strong enough in who I was. I was kind of following someone else's dream Funny enough, two weeks after we moved to California, we broke up. So it was super traumatizing because I was like in a new place, didn't know anybody, like didn't have any money. It was like really, really hard, but it was kind of an initiation. It was like the hero's journey. You know, the hero has to go into the underworld and like defeat the dragon or whatever. And it almost feels like that was the time in my life where I had to really be like, who am I? What do I want? Like, what am I, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? And, um, I, at the time thought it was the worst thing that could have ever happened to me to be like 
sick, like alone. But it was probably the best thing that ever happened, really. And well, yeah, you're um, kind of forced into figuring it out, right? Like, because you, you, that's, I love those situations. It's scary to think about. And I don't like wish myself to all of a sudden be thrown into something, but it's, uh, it really is, I think, the, best place to like truly grow and figure out who you are in that moment because what the hell else can you do <laughs> test, yeah, test your resiliency you're either going to crumble or you're going to find ways to grow yeah and like either become a victim i feel like that's almost like every at every choice point in our lives like we either choose to like be responsible and like grateful for the like what's in front of us and like navigate that in a way with um like yeah gratitude and sort of like i'm i'm here i'm doing this i'm resilient i can do this or we become a victim of life and like think that everything's happening to us you know and i really one of the time like things happen for us even if it's shitty even if it feels like super fucked up like it's happening for us it's like how we choose to look at it and at the time when all that was going down i was very like i think i cried every week for like not those nine months, like, and people were whole, like, I had that community of people who were like, it's not about the guy. It's not about him breaking up. This is about something in you that needs like, you know, so it was really like really, really intense, really deep initiation into like myself and self-love, I guess I should say. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say is the uh, biggest thing you learned about yourself in that moment or in that time period? to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned at that time was like to trust that things are happening for me, even if I can't see why it's happening. Um, again, not to like call in disaster or catastrophe, but like yeah. to realize it's always going to present things that we don't expect. And that is the nature of life. Like, I mean, the first God in Greek mythology, I think is chaos. I mean, the, that is where, that is what we live in. And like to believe that we are going to arrive at a place and everything's going to start being okay forever is a fucking lie. It's not very fun. And like that, I think like to just embrace like the chaos of life. So I learned that like things happen for me, even if it feels like I don't want it. Um, and at that time I really didn't want it. And I really resisted for a long time accepting it. So, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question? Kind of, yeah, kind of. Um, and, and I think I agree that it's kind of, there's a certain level of blissful ignorance to, to think that uh, anything happens to you, right? Like when anything, anytime, especially the, the more you know about like the human condition and, and psychology and how the brain works, like even people that do directly do things to you are actually like, doing shit within their own mind to either protect themselves or, or hurt themselves or whatever that looks like. And, really? uh, yeah, yeah, nothing actually happens to you. <laughs> it's just a bunch of shit happening around you. And then your life yeah. is how you bounce around all of those things. Yeah. There's a Ram Das quote that I've been really into lately. It's something about like, um, everything starts to change or everything changes or gets easier when you, can I read it to you? I actually have it right here. Yeah. It's like my, one of the quotes that I've been like really into and really trying to integrate, like, um, I'm going to tattoo it on my lower back. It's cool. Okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Everything changes once we identify with being the witness to the story instead of, instead of the actor in it. So everything changes once we identify with being the witness to the story instead of the actor in it. Like we, I think our personalities and our egos take everything so personally that we're like, this is happening to me. Like I, 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 me, me, me. But like, if you just witness yourself, like as if you're watching a movie of your life and you're just witnessing it, you have a little bit of space or separation. You're able to sort of see the more humor in it. You're able to see more options and solutions and like ways of navigating the challenge and being creative because you're not so deeply like intertwined with that the ego who thinks is experiencing it. And that's the only thing that matters or that's the only thing that exists. Yeah. I really like that quote. And I, I keep, I keep getting a visual and this is obviously an extreme example, but like 
you know, if a tidal wave is coming in and it's you and hundreds of people on the shore, like the story is not about like, how are you going to get away? The story is like this whole fucking thing that's happening. And yeah, uh, yeah it's a, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that quote. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. Um, so you do that for nine months. Uh, what part of California are you in at that point? That is like a little bit north of the Bay, San Francisco. So it's a little town called Bolinas that was based in. Um, and yeah, just a little bit north of San Francisco. In like okay. a little town. Yeah. So what happens after that nine months? I do another nine months after that. Because right? they have a two-year, it's actually like a two and a three-year program, but I did two years because I just like, you know, the first year was like kind of, shaky it was like kind of traumatic a lot of things happened it was really big and new and the second year i really got to kind of be more stabilized yeah like in myself and then um so i did a second year i almost did a third year but i decided to take another path of that after that what what was the path <laughs> um worked on a weed farm for the last 10 years it's been great yeah all kind of <laughs> um, actually but after that, I, I met uh, a little family who lived in a very small town, which is also um, on an Indian Indian reservation called Round Valley in Northern California. There's a little town there called Covalo. And they wanted a person to help run their summer camp with kids. It's like nature-based summer camp. And I thought, cool, I'll do that for like six weeks and come back to this area and figure out what I'm doing. So I went up to this little town. It's literally in the middle of nowhere, but whatever you consider nowhere, it's like the most beautiful place ever. Yeah. There's a river, there's mountains. It's like the round valley surrounded by mountains with a river. It's like so Sounds perfect. <laughs> so perfect. Um, and I went up there for six weeks, did the summer camp, and I was like, "Well, I love this place. I don't want to leave." So I stayed. Ended up living there for seven years. Wow! Wow! <laughs> I ended up making some really amazing friends. I taught at the high school, which was like 80% native population yeah. and a little bit white. So it was really interesting. It, such a beautiful and complex place. Um, you know, the main industry for the white people there is growing weed because that's like the only industry there. Um, so I think all my friends um, basically did that and do that um, one way or another. And you know, um, I taught at the high school and just loved it. I lived in a little cabin for $300 a month on a hundred acres by myself and freaking loved it. Like it was, it was really cool. Really cool experience. That's awesome. Yeah. What is it like to immerse yourself in that culture for that long? Um, it was interesting to be a minority, like to actually experience, like there's only one grocery store. It's a tiny town. So go to the grocery store, like you're smoking native people and Latino people. And then like, you're a white person, like yeah. you feel that. And like, that's what you like realize how so many people in our society feel that way all the time going everywhere in white society. Yeah. So you feel that, and which I think is really good. It was really good. Um, and I didn't get to like immerse myself in native culture because it's not like super open to everybody. There's like, it's so somewhat insular. And despite the fact that we're in a small town with, one store everyone has to go to still the the people keep everyone keeps them to themselves a little bit you know that the white people white people you know the and there is some intermingling for sure um definitely but we're a tribal uh we're a tribal race of people right like that's tribal and we have a tribal mentality for better or for worse sometimes you know um it was complex. It's like a complex thing to hold. Take like you living on native land and it's not like the native people are no longer there. They're like right there. And like, you're li- like, so that's really rare for people to experience ever in our society. Yeah. White people, especially to like, like, so there's a lot of beauty and tension in that. And, um, yeah, it was, it was that, those seven years were some of the, I just cherish that time in my life so yeah, I much. I think my white guilt would be doing like a field day. Like I'd have to just like apologize. Everybody I walked by, I'd be like, sorry. <laughs> sorry like... It's interesting. And 
I taught at the high school and I shared a classroom and the teacher was native, <clears throat> is native. And he and I like got along well and we talked about stuff and some of my natives, it was sometimes hard with, it's just, you just navigate it. And it's like, I don't know, being with attention is also like part of the process, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. <laughs> well, I could say, but what, well, so you were there for seven years. How long ago then did you leave there? What, where are we at on the timeline of your life in that, yeah. in that story? So that was, I just let, I've, so now I live in Santa Cruz and I've lived here, well, it'll be three years in August. So I guess like two and a half okay. um, or so. And I was, the last year I lived in Covalo, I was feeling like, okay, I really want to meet somebody. I want to have a relationship. I want to have kids. I want to do this thing. It's not happening here in this small town. Like there's 2000 people. Pretty much know all of them, and I was like, I quit my teaching job, and for that whole like school year, I was like, I'm just gonna like see what happens. I'm just gonna keep my house. It's only three hundred dollars a month. I'm gonna be here, but I'm gonna like travel a little bit and just see what happens. And the first thing I decided to do was do a workshop with this organization called the School of Lost Borders, which does like vision quests and rites of passage for adults. Oh wow! Will these rites of passage? And I went to this workshop. Um, it's called storytelling and mirroring workshop. And I met this guy named Tad and lost a long story as well, but we fell in love and he has lived in Santa Cruz for the last 22 years. And so I moved here to be with him and here I am. There you are. Are you teaching there? I was, I taught for two years and then, um, I stopped right now. I'm in a master's degree program for my marriage and family therapy. Oh. Well, let's branch off on that. Um, I start my <laughs> master's program in mental health counseling in the fall. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm going to be a therapist. Uh, yeah. That's this show actually kind of opened me up to that. Um, I wanted to ask you like how you got into this too. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you that story. So um, I was just sitting on like sitting on the couch doing as we do and scrolling through Facebook and uh, you know, you'd see people and that you haven't talked to since whenever high school. Uh, and then it's like old, you know, former coworkers and, and shit like that. And you're like, I don't know anything about these people. Right. Like w when you gain perspective on your own life, you're able to like, look at other people and be like, I don't know who these people are. Cause sometimes you plan a picture in your head and you're like, Oh, they're this person forever. Like, Oh, are you not still a cheerleader? Cause you were 20 years ago when I saw you. The person that you were in high school, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's <laughs> Well, yeah. And then I had so many years of, uh, um, the people I met when I lived in California and people from Nashville and people like, and you don't know anything about them cause they're just like in your life for this period of time. And then they go away, but then you're fine enough to be like, yeah, friend request. Um, so it really just came out of like, how well do I actually know these people? What if I like talk to them? Cause I was big into the interview shows that kind of like dove deep into trauma and that sort of thing. And, um, and I've been, I've been in therapy for seven years or something, but so I just, uh, yeah, that's where it was born out of. And somewhere mm -hmm. around like the early on, probably like the eighth or ninth interview, um, I kept having these moments where someone would tell me their life story in an hour, you know, kind of like how this is. And mm -hmm. I was able to tie things together and ask them questions about things that they'd never like, Oh, do you think that's cause that relationship you had with your dad when you were younger? And, and you see this moment of like a light bulb in their head and they kind of like start thinking mm -hmm. about stuff. And I got so mm -hmm. much joy out of being able to connect those things for people. And I was like, Oh, this is finally mm -hmm. something I could actually make a career out of that. I'm really passionate about. Cause like, mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking at a wall of guitars across from me and that was never anything that I was able to make a career out of. And like job wise, I didn't, I never, there's never been anything that was worth pursuing. And then I, yeah, then I found I could <laughs> be a therapist. I love therapy. I love uh, being able to find the reasons why we do things um, and why we act certain ways and why we react certain ways. And uh, it's mm -hmm. so fascinating to me and it's been so helpful for me to figure all that stuff out that if yeah. I can be that catalyst for other people, that's amazing. So that's what I'm yeah. doing. Uh, and Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's, that's cool. That are you currently in the program already? Yeah, I should be finishing in, in October if everything goes oh, well. Nice. It's a year, yeah. um, all online program. And I'm in my internship year. So I have two internships I'm doing. I have to get 300 hours yeah. before I graduate. And then I have to get 2,700 after that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a long road, but yeah, like similar to you, I'm like, after teaching, I was like, actually, my favorite part of teaching was connecting with the people and like trying to like get relationships with the actual people in my classroom. Not so much about like, I didn't really care about teaching Spanish. I realized like, I want to be, a, this is what I want to do. I want to like have the one-on-one -on -one deep connections. And, I, and as a therapist, I'm hoping in the future to be able to have a private practice and like make the kind of money I want to make, but also be doing the work I want to do and have the flexibility in my life and my schedule to not be like beholden to some system like I was as a teacher or, you know, a little, a little more freedom. And but also doing something that I feel like is, has vastly helped me and is so versatile. Like you can do so many things as a therapist. There's so many different trainings. There's so many different niche that you can fill and um, get really good at. So I'm, I'm so, I'm just very excited. Yeah. And I think in the grand scheme of things, it's still new. Um, it, it's remarkable to think of how we like as a society and then as the profession itself approaches therapy now compared to even like 20 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And not, not to be like, I don't know what I'm saying, but uh, like outside of just uh, how the public views it, right? Like that is being opened up a lot more too. Right. And, stigma from like mental yeah. health is, you know, I'm lucky to live in Santa Cruz, which is like a hub of just like healers and like people like healing and like people really into that here. So it's really progressive place, um, really progressive, but just, I do agree that in general society, like therapy is just being more normalized mental health. Yeah. Like you don't have to be fucked up and like a psycho to get therapy. Yeah. Like, and I think it's actually really good for refinement of self. Like, I don't think anyone's ever like, doesn't graduate out of needing support or like guidance or mentorship even to refine who they are. So it's, I just think it's useful for like literally anyone. Yeah. Anyone. Life. Yeah, yeah, and it's frustrating when you have friends that you know could benefit from it, but are just so adamantly against it. Because I have a couple I of those. <laughs> I know, and then, yeah, they're like, it's like this idea: if I go get therapy, I'm admitting to people and myself that like I can't, I'm not okay, or I can't yeah. do this alone. There's a lot of, you know, you yeah, know, posturing that people do. But I yeah, I think the more normalizing. And the more that we, yeah, I think it'll, it's, it's shifting. There'll always be people who, they have to hold that place. Like every, like every inch of nature is filled with some sort of creature, bug, microbe or something. So in the human, there's every niche of personality and person and way of thinking is also filled. So I just look at those people like, thank you. You're holding down that belligerent niche, you know, <laughs> that's your role. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, the more I talk to people uh, and the more I just kind of observe these things, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, with control, right? And that's where a lot of anxiety comes from, too, is just not being able to control certain things. And I feel like if you if you go to therapy, a lot of people put that label on there where it's like, oh, you're admitting you don't have control of something, whether that be an emotion or, or a reaction or whatever that looks like. And uh, I don't think people are so <laughs> so excited to let go of that control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so doing the master's program, you're uh, mm -hmm. just living in Santa Cruz. Like what, what, what is going, what are, what is your life now? Like what are, oh, also, you know what? I wrote this down and I didn't, I want to circle back. You said you went to other places uh, around mm -hmm. the world. Where, where have oh. you traveled to? Like, what is that life of, of travel been? And why oh. did I paint that broad picture on you before I talked to you today? Oh. I I mean, I went to, I've been to Mexico, Peru, Ecuador, Argentina, Guatemala, and Morocco. And most recently I was in Morocco last September because I've been studying, since I've been to Santa Cruz, there's a, a guy here named Fatah and he's amazing world-class musician and just a plus human being. And he um, is from Morocco and he has a band, uh, like a professional band here, but he also has been teaching 10 years now, a small group of people who wanted to learn the indigenous North African music. 
the folk music of his region of his tribal music. And when I moved here, my, one of my best friends was learning with him. So she invited me to come and I was sort of like, Oh, okay. I don't know what this is, but I'll go. And like fell in love with the music, fell in love with Fata. And I had a banjo already. So I was actually learning banjo from him. And I've been learning, singing, doing drums, banjo with this little group of us for the last two years. And we were just in Morocco. We um, did a tour with him and we got to play music with a bunch of people and all over the country. Got to see this, just a part of this amazing country because um, it's so vast. And got to play music in a village to like all these people who knew all the, the songs and were just like 500 villagers just like in a crowded in this little space and we're just like perform it was just like so magical and so amazing um and we're really it's like he's like basically one of the only people right now preserving the the language and the music um of his of his ancestors really um and so he's like a cultural gem um that's amazing and just so lucky to have him here in santa cruz i just Love you him. said That's you a, did what you sang and did what? Um, well, so we're all learning different instruments. We're all okay. learning the song. We all have like songs we lead, but we all learn like the songs. And then there's drum. We learn rhythms. Um, a couple of my friends in the group are learning the rebab, which is like a one stringed kind of fiddle, I guess you could call it. Um, but it's a, it's a traditional instrument of that area. And they're learning that, which traditionally was only played by men there are women learning that and um we're just like trying to learn as much as we can of the music yeah. and super fun and hard to do because like, we're singing in tamazirs which is the the native language it's like the the only living language that has like a connection to ancient egyptian wow it's still living today where all these other women like, so it's like really old it's really poetic it's just a really interesting language and um I'm like basically singing in this language that I don't actually speak, which is interesting. How small is the population of people that still speak that language? Well, it's spoken all over North Africa. So, um, and I think it's being taught in the schools again. I don't know if all okay. schools in Morocco. Um, so a lot of, you know, in Algeria, they speak it in Morocco and I, I know other, Libya maybe. Um, well, Americans are so bad at geography, aren't we? But yeah, so <laughs> it, it's still being spoken, but you know, it almost died out and I feel like it's slowly coming back and this is like little by little and just holding on to it. Yeah. That had to be a pretty epic experience. Yeah. That was like, it was, that was insanely beautiful and I am still like processing it. I think Yeah. <laughs> but it's really, like, the, probably one of the highlights of my life here in Santa Cruz is doing that music that's awesome yeah. um so i guess i guess summarizing looking back i mean i mean you touched on a lot of different stuff um what what would you say was like a big challenge that you had to overcome um and, and as well as like what was a big you know success that still sticks with you today okay spanning your spanning your adult life I think a big challenge is for a lot of us, definitely for me, is just like loving yourself. And <laughs> that's like the biggest challenge. And I think that's what creates like sometimes we self-sabotage or we don't believe in ourselves or we look for love and validation in the external world through other people and through achievements and really, if we just come home to ourselves and realize like we're okay, we're already okay. Um, and like to really cultivate that like self-awareness, self-reflection, self-care, self-love is the biggest challenge. And also I would say then is the biggest success for me, not because I'm done with that work or that it ever ends, but because I've, I know that now, yeah. like the success is knowing where it's at, like where I should focus, where, where actual peace, peace and joy come from and it's cultivated within the self and i think it's a never-ending never-ending um journey but i'm glad to like have been had my eyes open to that truth i think it's a, like a truth and i'm just always on the pursuit of that that's awesome yeah that's yeah. uh i think it was 
I've had almost two years now. I had like a big breakthrough moment where I was, uh, I realized that everything I had done for the majority of my life, like the first memory I have of doing this is probably like fourth grade, <laughs> is uh, whether it be, you know, music, sex, uh, substances, whatever, whatever that might look like, uh, was always for validation, right? Like anything I could get someone else to validate me, because uh, eventually getting all that, I was unable to validate myself. And so then you lose all self-worth and, and value. And so I was like, oh, mm. and I just like spiraled into that thought and had to kind of mm. come out of it. And like, mm. I didn't play guitar for like a year. Cause I was like, I, like I wanted to make sure if I did anything, I was doing it for the right reasons. Mm. And, wow. and yeah, that's a, that's a big one. And when you, when you start cycling around it and thinking about it, yeah. They're like seeing like what you're really doing in the context of life. Yeah. And then if you realize you want to change it, you're like, whoa, like it's almost like you were your eyes, like you were blind for so long or something. It's a whole new way of seeing your life and your world. And congratulations on doing that. Yeah. Sometimes it's looking back, it can be a bummer, but it's <laughs> but yeah, no, it's and it it's great. Um and it's really I still have to keep myself in check in that way, you know, like uh when I am doing anything where that that feels good i'm like does this feel good for the right reasons you know like what does this feel good like because i need this and providing it for or having someone else provide it for me if that makes sense um, yeah <laughs> enough about me uh well i think we could talk three hours yeah i uh, uh, <laughs> really could i think we've spanned your entire life though is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention my dog's pregnant. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> that might be, uh, I think that's not only a first for the show, that's a first. Uh, I don't think I've ever known anyone that has a pregnant dog. Uh, I do, <laughs> I know dogs come from this sort of thing, but that's uh, really funny. She's a really special dog. She was a, a res dog from Covalo that was found on the side of the road. She looks a little bit like a coyote. She's like an angel dog and she's kind of my, my spirit animal, my soulmate. So she's just really sweet. Everyone loves her and she's going to have babies. And so do you know who the father is? <laughs> yeah. It's a really good friend of ours. Her dog. So All right. that's funny. Come on, it's beautiful here. Yeah. Well, it was super great talking to you and seeing you. And I am so appreciative and thankful that you were up for doing this. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is a great, I really enjoyed our conversation and so good to see you too. Yeah. hear what you're up to good luck with your studies and your your goals and whatever you're getting into in the future i think it's gonna be really great yeah good luck with your 2700 hours yeah. <laughs> i thought i thought 2000 was a lot um because michigan is 2000 oh, like, like way more than other states i don't i don't know yeah, we're crazy. crazy well good luck <laughs> you too thank you so much yeah. bye. bye you and i have lots in common my request is sent would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Angela Vincent. I love it. It was so good talking to her. I can't believe that she is also going to school to be a therapist. That's that's wild. I had no idea. And, uh, you know, we're similar ages. And I don't meet a lot of people in my age group that are like, hey, I decided I'm going to go to school for this job. So that was that was really cool. And something I'm sure we will continue to connect on in the future. And I just, I love the perspective. And, and I mean, I mentioned this, you know, in the, in the interview, but you, it's so funny, the idea we have about people because of what we knew about them, uh, you know, back in the day, right? Like, we put this projection onto people of who they were. And even though we're changing, right? Like high school for me was over 20 years ago and, and I've changed a ton since then. Right. I, I've changed in, I think every way possible. And I, I still find myself putting those labels onto people, right? Like, Oh, they're probably the same person they were in high school. Why? Why the fuck would they be the same person they were in high school? Nobody is. But for some reason, you just like you take that image you have of them from the last time you knew them and you just, 
you know, age that person and assign all the same values. It's very strange. And I feel like that is like part of the human condition that we do that. It's just wild. And I also, I pointed out on the, on the podcast, but I cannot tell you how excited I was when she said she worked at Dairy Queen. That Dairy Queen uh, meant so much to me as, as a youth. And the moment she said it, I was like, that's like, yeah, I knew her from school, but that's where I saw her. Like I could picture her in the, you know, the stupid little Dairy Queen outfits and, and, the, and the baseball hat. And uh, I used to love the, the ladies at the drive-thru. I, I just loved it. I loved it so much. And it's embarrassing that they all knew me because uh, I was there so often. <laughs> but I love me an Oreo cookie blizzard. So thank you, Angela, so much. This was fantastic, and I look forward to talking to you more. And thank you to all of you listeners and friends and former guests and future guests. If you're listening and you're like, I want to be on that show, reach out to me because I want you to be on this show too. And I, 95, you guys were five episodes away from my 100th interview. How wild is that? I got a real special one planned too. So that's going to be super fun. Uh, I want to thank Talia Dalton for the theme music. And you guys, she has a GoFundMe going right now for an album she is trying to create. So go check that out. You can follow her at Talia Dalton Music on Instagram. There's a link to her GoFundMe there. And that's all I got. So I will talk to you guys next week. I'm so happy that it's March. I mean, not technically. If you're listening to this on release day, we have like 24 hours. But uh, it's going to be not snowy soon. <laughs> it's very exciting. All you Southern state folks and people around the world that are not experiencing snow right now. What's life like? Tell me about it. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. I've rambled enough. Bye-bye. I love you. <laughs>